This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org. Welcome to the JMR podcast. I'm David Johnson, your host for today's podcast. We're recording on January 7th, 2022, and my guest today is Dr. Tristan McIntosh, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Bioethics Research Center, Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. Her teaching and research focus is on ethical and professional issues that arise in the conduct of medicine and research. Dr. McIntosh and her colleagues' paper, Protecting Patients from Egregious Wrongdoing by Physicians, Consensus Recommendations from State Medical Board Members and Staff, appears in the current issue of the Journal of Medical Regulation. Dr. McIntosh, welcome to the JMR podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. We are so glad you could join us today. Now, before we go into the specifics of your article, can you talk a little bit about how you and your colleagues came to focus on this uh, line of research specific to physician misconduct? Yeah, so my collaborator, Jim Dubois, he had a five-year research project funded by the National Institutes of Health, and he examined 280 cases of egregious ethical violations in medicine or egregious wrongdoing. And that includes things like sexual abuse of patients, improper prescribing of controlled substances, and performing unnecessary invasive procedures. So these behaviors obviously directly cause harm to patients and contradict the core values of medicine. But as part of Jim's project, he involved a convening work group that consisted of social scientists, ethicists, patient advocates, health lawyers, legal counsel, physicians, and representatives from different professional societies and associations like the AAMC and the FSMB. And what this group did is that they reviewed the case data and they developed 10 recommendations that kind of provided a starting point to address these issues of egregious wrongdoing by physicians. And one of these recommendations was to foster the establishment of more uniform and transparent practices by state medical boards. And I personally became interested in pursuing that particular recommendation further, especially given my training as an industrial organizational psychologist. But taken together, sort of that case review and the work group recommendations that really laid the groundwork for the current project that we're going to talk about today. Okay, thank you. Well, uh, Dr. McIntosh, I don't usually ask interview subjects to talk about their methodology but in this particular case, I thought it might be helpful and perhaps even critical for our listeners. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Adelphi methodology, can you explain, uh, first of all, what that is, and second, why it was appropriate to be used in this particular instance? Sure. So we used a modified Delphi panel, which is a methodology that's really good and effective for cultivating and establishing consensus among experts on a particular topic. So in our case, the topic was identifying you know, policies, practices, and resources that boards could adopt to better protect patients from physicians who cause harm. 
So to dive into the process in a little bit more detail, so for our Delphi panel, we first invited members from state medical boards across the country to participate in our project. So once we had recruited our panelists, we had an orientation webinar to tell everyone about the project and kind of drum up excitement and get everyone on the same page so that we kind of all had the same goal in mind. And then we asked panelists to complete a series of online surveys over the course of multiple weeks that asked them to really generate and then evaluate proposed solutions. So panelists were also asked to provide rationales for their evaluations of these different solutions. And then they were also asked to consider the rationales that were provided by other panelists. So this exercise really acted as a form of you know, guided perspective taking where panelists could understand and consider the range of rationales in support for or in opposition of a proposed solution. So we ended up using that Delphi panel approach because it's so important to us that the members of boards were involved in the decision making process and that consensus building process. And not only does that Delphi panel process allow us to hear directly you know, from a representative range from state medical boards, but it's a process that cultivates buy-in to those recommendations that generate themselves from the project and that also increases the likelihood that they're actually going to be adopted and put into practice by state medical boards. Okay, well, thank you. That, that's very helpful to just understand what uh, that methodology you're using to help establish some of this consensus for their, the resulting yeah. recommendations. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, there are 56 recommendations in your article that were broken into five categories. Uh, perhaps you could share a couple of those that you think are emblematic of just the nature and the scope of these recommendations as a whole. Yeah, yeah, this is a tough one. There are so many important <laughs> recommendations that span like several domains. Yeah. Um, just thinking about it, like maybe I'll highlight one that's more internally focused to internal board operations and then another one that's a little bit more externally focused just to kind of Got give it. you that span of what things are looking like. So for the internally focused recommendation, I think one that I would want to highlight is that the board bans the use of the nondescript quote-unquote other or NA categories when they report physicians to the National Practitioner Data Bank, also known as the NPDB. Um, so requiring that specificity and reporting of wrongdoing, that creates greater transparency, and it also allows you know, other people who query the NPDB to obtain more robust and accurate information about a physician. So I thought that one was really helpful in terms of just a decision that could a board could make internally about their processes. And then a second recommendation that I was thinking about that's sort of more externally focused is that the board allows for what we call unfettered investigative information sharing about physicians with other boards. And that includes when a physician applies for licensure or when you know potentially actionable out-of-state conduct occurs. And this recommendation is an example that's intended to improve coordination and information sharing among different stakeholders. And I think it also really does a good job of illustrating a way to prevent harmful physicians from hopping over to another state to practice medicine while they're being investigated in another state, for example. Well, that, you know, that's very helpful because as I reflect on your, your article, you, you gave an example of a recommendation fairly internal and other that really had to do with collaboration between boards in some ways. And I think that goes back just to almost the categorization because you, it seems like those categories really uh, encompass the spectrum of uh, what boards do, everything from the, the board composition to investigative processes, for example. So those are, those yeah, are very I, telling examples. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it also does a good job of just showing, showing how many good areas and opportunities for improvement and change in different domains that there can be to help protect patients. So I, I do think there's a lot of good opportunity to do good um, with state medical boards here. Well, and, and Dr. McIntosh, as you were talking about that one internal example about sort of the classification of sort of an NA or other type of uh, label that's applied, I, I couldn't help but think back to conversations with colleagues at the Federation that, uh, you know, work directly in the physician data center that talk about some of that and how problematic that can be when you're trying to tease out something as you would think as straightforward as what's the underlying basis for the action. If if too many of those actions fall into an other category or something overly broad like professional misconduct, you don't really understand what the basis was if you're trying to talk about this in an aggregate uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, is as you reflect on the consensus recommendations from the panel, are there a couple of recommendations that might stand out to you as, and I'm just going to use the phrase, low-hanging fruit? In other words, if there's a board that's interested in adopting some of these recommendations and has the authority to do so without having to resort to like a legislative relief, things that they can do that are pretty quickly actionable. Yeah, I do think that there are several recommendations that can be implemented without changes to legislation, right? That's a separate mm -hmm. barrier that, that people have yeah. to address in state medical boards. But uh, before diving into that, I do also want to mm -hmm. acknowledge that like not all of the boards have the same amount of resources or other, as others, but there are still you know recommendations from our project that can be implemented with relatively modest effort and resources. Um, but I guess I would say like a lot of, you know, the low hanging fruit recommendations have to do maybe with content that the board puts on its website that facilitates, you know, the ease of reporting and understanding relevant terminology and just being more transparent in the information shared with the public. So just, you know, off the cuff thinking of a couple of examples, like one is like making sure that the board website has a really easy to find platform for patients or other whistleblowers to file complaints. So you don't want people to go to the website and be like, where do I go to report this? Like it should be pretty clear and upfront um, just so that they you know, don't have to spend their time looking and that increases the likelihood that they'll also report. Uh, maybe another example on the board website, like defining physician sexual misconduct and including information about state laws and board policy on sexual misconduct. And just to quickly clarify, like I don't think that the public needs like a technical definition of what sexual misconduct is so much as like clear examples of what it is. So sometimes right. people who are sexually abused are unsure, like they don't always know, for example, you know, when a sensitive exam is needed or the purpose of an intimate exam should be clearly explained or that it should be you know, done with gloves on or things like that. Um, so well, I just say those are the great examples, especially by focusing on some that are sort of outward facing to the public and making things as accessible and easily understood as, as possible for someone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just want to make it easy for people to report. I think that's one of the biggest, um, at least upfront barriers is just getting that ease of access to reporting. Right. Uh, Dr. McIntosh, as you and your colleagues were engaged in this research and, and this, this process, this consensus-driven process around these recommendations, were there any surprises or sort of unexpected moments along the way that really stand out to you? Hmm. 
I, I guess I wouldn't say this is like an unexpected surprise per se, but like as I mentioned earlier, different boards have access to, you know, different amounts and types of resources. And we kind of knew this already, but like when I was talking with members of state medical boards and our project advisory board throughout the project, those disparities in access to resources really stood out to me. So like from my view, those limited access to resources really does restrict board's ability to protect patients from harmful physicians and also having different levels of access to resources makes it challenging to establish uniform policies and practices across all state medical boards. So that's one that um, really jumped out to me. And I would say that another that jumped out to me was the barriers that panelists experienced or perceived to implementing some of the recommendations. So it's part of our surveys that we asked panelists to complete. We asked them to describe barriers they had faced or expected to face when implementing some of these proposed solutions. And one of the most common barriers was that they had simply not developed a formal policy on that particular topic yet. So speaking of low-hanging fruit, like taking the time to formalize policies is such a worthwhile investment of board members' time and effort. You know, Dr. McIntosh, your article talked also about next steps uh, following up this paper, and I wondered if you could share a few of those, which, uh, I, as I recall, I think one of them might have been around that topic of barriers to implementation. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we still have a couple of other papers in the works um, from this project. One of those is talking about barriers, maybe proposed solutions to overcoming those barriers. Um, we are also working on another paper that's focused on recommendations that are within the power of most boards to enact within their existing statutory framework, so kind of focusing on the low-hanging fruit, kind of similar to what we discussed earlier. Um, and one other right. thing that um, we plan to do, or that's, that should be coming out here pretty soon, so one of my collaborators on this project, Elizabeth Pendo, she's a health law professor at St. Louis University School of Law. She's taken the lead on writing a manuscript that details five high-impact model statutory provisions, and this inventory of provisions can be used as a tool for states that, you know, they can use to self-evaluate the provisions of their medical practice acts. So these model provisions are paired with commentary that provides clear and concise explanation of that statutory language, and that includes, you know, the purpose and justification for each provision. So I guess put a little differently, uh, this commentary, it provides guidance to states in designing or amending their state medical practice acts in a way that's going to be consistent with their specific state objectives and circumstances. Um, and I guess one more thing that I wanted to highlight that I'm excited about, just sort of looking, you know, to springboard to future projects kind of stemming from this current project. We're in the process of trying to obtain funding for a project that would explore and identify solutions to address barriers related to reporting of physicians who sexually abuse their patients, and that would, you know, be reported by hospital administrators, peer physicians, nurses, and patients. And, you know, it's disappointing to me and, like, my research team to see how often those abusers engage in abuse across multiple years with numerous patients, and we'd like to see that abuse reported much sooner with decisive actions taken sooner so that abuse ends. And so this new project would help us kind of improve that information sharing process about harmful physicians among the different stakeholder groups involved in this sort of thing. Well, this is really interesting because it looks like this particular line of research is now also leading to quite a bit of additional um, projects that uh, sounds like it's going to be keeping you and your colleagues uh, pretty busy or engaged for uh, foreseeable yes, there's, future. There's plenty left to do, so yep, 
It's good. Good job, security. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. McIntosh, one other question, which is, uh, what would you like for a, a board member or a staff member from a state medical board to, to take away from our conversation today and, and your article that's in the current JMR? Yeah, I I think to not let perfection be the enemy of the good here. So like even if a board can't or won't adopt all of these recommendations right now, they can still adopt some of them right now. And kind of along with that, like adopting these recommendations, it's going to require, you know, intentional planning on the part of state medical boards. It's not like now that we've generated these practices, they're just automatically going to help protect patients better. Um, But I think that, you know, implementing these recommendations to better protect patients isn't going to happen without some concerted effort by board members and I think it is worth the investment of their time to sort of look through the list and say hey okay here are the things that we can do now here are sort of mid-range plans and long-term plans to implement some of these to sort of be strategic and um, incorporating those into their board practices. Well it sounds to me like these are really uh, tremendous additional resources to boards because I, I think every board uh, certainly staff reports would tend to agree that their job's easier when individuals can identify best practice, practices or resources that are available, whether it's specific recommend, consensus recommendations like this or uh, some of the work you were talking about additionally around some commentary around statutory language and reviewing that. I think that's always a value to state medical boards. Yeah, great. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it will help them, um, you know, do, do live up to their goal of, you know, protecting the public and protecting patients and protecting the profession of medicine and sort of upholding those values. So, Hopefully that'll help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. McIntosh. Uh, Enjoyed our conversation. Our listeners can find your article in the current issue of the JMR. It's online at www.jmronline.org. And thank you to our listeners. I hope you will join us for our next JMR podcast. Have a great day. This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation. Serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org.